You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to a second helping show of The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and as we have a fifth Tuesday in the month, tonight's programme includes interviews from previously aired shows. We're going to hear that interview when Chef Vincenzo treated me to an Italian feast in the studio discuss the Great Taste Awards with John Farrand from the Guild of Fine Food, get Christmas cake making tips from Colin Greensmith and remind you how to enter the Easy Food magazine home cook hero competition. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Now my mouth is watering simply thinking about that night that Chef Vincenzo from the George Hotel arrived in the studio with an Italian feast for me to enjoy. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm in the studio now. I've been joined by Vincenzo. Vincenzo, am I saying it right? Vincenzo and Alana, both Italian, as you can tell by the names. And you want to see the food that is in front of me. Vincenzo, you're so good to bring this all in. It's a pleasure. You have the Italian restaurant in the George Hotel in Limerick City. You're from Naples originally. Yeah, so Napoli, Pompeii, yeah. So you grew up with a love of food? Yes, I see. The 70% of the time in Italy, we spend in the kitchen with our mommy, our grandmother, cooking, you know, look at them and take inspiration from them. Now, tell me about some of the food that you've brought okay. in. There's a lovely antipasta platter We have uh, our um, antipasto board to share that we serve to Da Vincenzo in Limerick. He's an uh, old, uh, best of the cold cut from Italy. We have a salami from Napoli, prosciutto di Parma, yes, they're there. Prosciutto di Parma from uh, nord of Italy, bresaola from Valtellina with a Parmesan chef on top, a rocket salad. And then we have uh, all green olives marinated here in our restaurant with olive oil extra virgin uh, and herbs. And then we have our three kinds of cheese. We have gorgonzola from Milano, taleggio e pecorino cheese. And then we have our homemade focaccia. See, there we have uh, a style, Naples style pizza that we may call our focaccia or our bread. So there's a few different meats here, the salami, the braziola, the parma ham. Yes. Just explain the difference between those three different okay. meats. The, I just had some of the salami there. The salami is uh, is from south of Italy, Napoli. Is uh, Usually people use to make the pizza, but this salami is high quality and we use on the board like as antipasto. Uh, it's, um, it's a pig. It's, uh, it's, an, it's, a pig, it's pig meat. Then we have the braziola that is the high quality cold meat. You see, a, there is no fat at all. It's done with the fillet of beef and air dry and then uh, eat a date in Italy especially the people do ski and cycling it's very very healthy served with the rocket salad the parmesan cheese on top it's right there we recommend a squeeze a little bit of lemon on top and it's fantastic Lovely. the parmesan's delicious and then we have uh, our prosciutto prosciutto di parma is a deluxe product that you find on the shop here also in Ireland but what's the difference between us and the other shop or other restaurant because we get the prosciutto the brezzale the salami a big piece and then we cut ourselves like in Italian deli shop for that the freshness of the salami or the prosciutto the brezzale is still there and there's no preservative on it because when you cut it that you put on this packet you know uh, it has preservative in it and, and the, ch- the test change. So this isn't Parma ham. This Parma. It is Parma. Prosciutto di Parma, sì. Because their Parma ham has to come from a certain part of Italy yes. for it to be called Parma ham. Parma, sì. Emilia, that, that's that's region there. Emilia Romagna and uh, close to Trentino, that area there, Parma. And we have uh, we order everything on the Monday. We get the Tuesday the week after. We have a uh, logistic already organized for our product. You can see also the taleggio come from Italy. That's a uh, cow cheese. Then you have pecorino. That's a goat. Uh, goat milk cheese. This is the taleggio. That's, the, that's okay. I'm going to have a taste of it. Okay. And then we have the gorgonzola from Milano. Gorgonzola is our blue cheese. People love it. We make also some nice pasta the day, sometimes with the gorgonzola cream. That's beautiful. It's so creamy. Thanks. That's the taleggio. It's so creamy. And uh, also the pickles we make here, we make our own pesto dip. That's uh, on the side there, the green. Now tell me about this, because this is a bit unusual. I haven't seen this before. Is this um, courgette? That's a courgette, and then we have uh, some a little bit of uh, onions inside, uh, beetroot, and cauliflower. Or cauliflower too. It's a mix of vegetables, just to break the, you know, the taste of the cheese and the cold meat. 
And there is the pesto there that's amazing. In the future, we're also going to sell our own pesto, our own sauce. This, the pesto? With the pesto dressing, yeah. We make fresh in, fresh in our restaurant. I'm going to dip some of your lovely focaccio into it. This is all delicious. The listeners will be very jealous now if they saw this. Mmm. Lovely. So you mentioned the cheeses there, but you've also brought a pizza. Yeah, that's a, I brought to you today our uh, skinny pizza. Okay, our pizza to Da Vincenzo is done like a really traditionally Naples pizza style. The pizza is born in Naples many many years ago, and we keep like it was born. But the difference, something that nobody has it, I think in Europe, I brought a recipe that it was my treat on Tuesday and Thursday, wholemeal pizza. You can come to Da Vincenzo have a regular pizza double zero. But you can also have all meal. That's the healthy choice of the pizza. It, uh, right in front of you, you have our skinny pizza that's done a margarita classic with the buffalo mozzarella. That's another thing that's very important. We get the buffalo mozzarella from Italy every week, and we only use buffalo mozzarella. Buffalo mozzarella is the, the, milky, mo- the milky mozzarella, very high quality. Right in the middle, you have a masculine salad with the balsamic, balsamic reduction right on top. This pizza is around 400 calories or less. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I mean, because it's a massive pizza and it's very tasty. I just had a mm. piece of it there. So the base is completely different from the traditional Yeah, it's pizza done with all milk flour. Wow. But the same process as you do the pizza in Napoli, mm. in Italy. Lovely. And oh, our pizza delicious. oven is amazing. The first day when I came up to the George, uh, Mr. Rosh Ronan showed me the pizza oven. I was a little bit skeptic because, you see, in Naples we do. I said, how can I make him the pizza like in Italy with this pizza oven? Then I got my uh, Salvatore up that is, uh, was my uh, college friend on hotel manager school. I got him up here to make pizza. And now he's with us for a couple of days to try to see how we're going to go. And we bought already the product from Italy. And then we, after two days, the pizza was like in Italy. I was so, so happy. I said, oh, it's really. Because, you know, in Italy, when you see a pizza one, you want the wood, you know. But our pizza one is exactly the same. The only thing is with the gas. But the pizza come exactly the same, authentic. That is a delicious pizza now. It's absolutely delicious. And you mentioned the balsamic reduction there. Balsamic and you brought in some balsamic yeah, vinegar. I brought you, I brought you uh, olive oil extra virgine from uh, Italy. The peperoncino, the olive oil with a little bit of peperoncino is nice for the pizza. The balsamic vinegar. When you come to Da Vincenzo, you find these three products product on the table. You know, Usually we don't really serve butter in Italy. But if somebody asks, we give it. Uh, but uh, we serve the olive oil with the balsamic. You can dip your bread inside. Have your old Italian experience. And you can put on top of your pizza because he, uh, the pizza is very very light we put some olive oil but you can add some more especially the spicy one it's very very nice and then you have another savory dish here see that's we uh, we i'm very proud to talk about our artisan bread you see in limerick we brought one dishes that's uh, used down in south of italy napoli it's called saltimbocca but this one uh, we call here in our in our da vincenzo artisan panini uh, artisan panini we have the magic five they are done with different feeling we have a set bello mare sorrento diplomatico and then um, the one in front of you is with the ham that's how also come from Italy is a cooked ham low on sodium you can see it's not very very salty no it's not no. Uh, we make in daily basis and at lunchtime they are very very popular at the moment and they also can be made in wholemeal bread it comes, it comes with the rocket sad a parmesan cheese it's a lunch at its own you know and people it are is, some, yeah it's very substantial yeah very substantial. it can be made also in wholemeal bread when somebody come in, we change the concept a little bit of the panini that you have here. When you have a panini here around, you get the French baguette. But this one is very light, mm-hmm. it's fresh made. So, you know, you have all this beautiful buffalo mozzarella, this rock, this uh, fresh salad, ripe beef tomato, a spread of my aioli sauce that we're gonna, in the future, we're gonna sell in our shop. Uh, and then you have different feeling. This one is with the cooked ham. And then we're gonna have with the mil- chicken milanese we have. Then we have with this beautiful gouda cheese that's come from County Clare. Then I have a parma ham, prosciutto di parma. And then we have a tuna too, because lots of people here like tuna. I import tuna can from Italy that they're famous all around the world. And you can find also them on the shop on sale. So you source lots of the ingredients everything from Italy. From Italy. The, oh, everything is Italian. We source ourselves. Because there's no point to go through somebody else. If not, we cannot give this fantastic value that we give it to Da Vincenzo. And then we, we tested the product. Or every week we test a new one. We have uh, two persons that they help us on the logistic down in Italy. And I make my order Monday. I get them on Tuesday. Now, no Italian meal would be... 
right if you weren't finishing off with a tiramisu? Tiramisu, yeah. Tell me what's in your tiramisu. Oh, tiramisu. The word tiramisu in Italy means pick me up, you know. We have a ladyfinger, like the tradition that we do in Italy, ladyfinger biscuit. I dip them on espresso, on a coffee liqueur. Then after I prepare my mascarpone, with the cream inside, I give a little bit of twist, I mean a little bit lighter on uh, on mascarpone with a little bit more cream, and then we leave it settle on the fridge and chocolate powder when you serve. That's delicious. Now, it's not too strong. The coffee flavour isn't yeah. very strong, which I find sometimes with tiramisu, the coffee flavour can be a bit overpowering. Yeah, that's when you dip the ladyfinger. You don't really need to dip too much because you need when you put on the fridge, the ladyfinger still absorb the cream. And it's still, uh, you know, and then it gets even softer and the coffee is going, you know. Is, uh, and if you're not a tiramisu lover and, look, I mean, who isn't? There is a can, can no, what's Cannoli. It? Cannoli. I always want to call it cannelloni, but it's cannoli. No, we have a cannelloni in the restaurant, but unfortunately I couldn't bring it today. Yeah, now, whenever you told me that you had this with you, I thought of The Godfather. Yes. <laughs> because one of the characters in it is given one of these at the opera, and I think it's poisoned, actually, but this is not poisoned. But is <laughs> tell, me, tell me what's in this. There's okay, the cannoli is uh, original. Cannoli is done in Italy. We do with ricotta cheese. We use 70% ricotta and then cream. But we twist a little bit this recipe. It's original cannoli. We made it ourselves. Also, the the corn. It takes almost one day to prepare because you need to make the corn, leave them settled, you know, fry them. And then inside you have this beautiful ricotta. And then you have a cream and a choc- uh, we call uh, goccia di cioccolato, drop of chocolate, and then you have orange candied. It's incredible, Vincenzo. It's delicious. And such a clever way of presenting it there with some of the cream underneath it so it doesn't wobble. There's a movie, yeah. <laughs> now, you brought Alana with you. Alana is eight, turning nine in October. Do you do any cooking at home, Alana? Um, I cook a bit of scrambled eggs at home for my sister. What about Italian cuisine? Has your father passed you on any tips or recipes for it? Um, not really, but sometimes I'd help him get the ingredients. I'm sure, Vincenzo, you do plan to, to hand down some of the recipes that your grandmother has handed down to oh, you. Oh, yes, certainly. We do pa- lots of pasta home, pizza. Actually, to the Vincenzo, we, we plan to organise some kids' class for pizza. Oh, fantastic. Pizza class, uh, we plan to lunch. And beside that, also in the Da Vincenzo, we have the wine. We have almost 200 Italian wine in my restaurant, uh, all sourced in Italy, a different region. But in Da Vincenzo, we have a different way of serving wine. We take you in Italy in a wine fly. What's a wine fly? We take, uh, you fly to Italy without an airfare. You come to Da Vincenzo, you have a different class of wine, economy, premium and business and then you have the deluxe one you come there you can pick a glass of wine you say I want a glass of wine you can split this glass of wine in three, three wine and you can explore different region that's our wine fly we give you a small tag with wine that when you come back the next time you can buy that bottle that you like it and you can start to experience different wine because sometimes people stick always with the same wine because they didn't have they didn't give the chance to have the choice of it but like these we uh, we believe that people can experiment more wine it's also a fun way in a socialized event and as a socialized way to do it between friends you know Fantastic. Well, listen, congratulations on your Please. new venture in the George Boutique Hotel in Limerick City Centre. And uh, be sure to let us know now about the kids' classes for the pizza and we'll give it a shout out here on the programme. Oh, certainly. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Ah, the memories of that Italian feast. Mm. And perhaps then it's only fitting that we move on to an interview I did with John Farrand, who is the MD of the Guild of Fine Food. We were talking about the Great Taste Awards, and this was before the unveiling of the Supreme Champion, which was actually awarded to an Irish company, James Whelan Butchers in County Tipperary, for their beef dripping. To quote Bruce Langlands, who was one of the judges, Bruce is the Director of Food at Harrods, He said, fat is back. Thought that was a bit funny. The regional winner in Northern Ireland was Barons Court Estate for their rack of Sika venison. And I'll be talking to Lord Hamilton from Barons Court Estate in a few weeks' time. So we've that to look forward to. But now it's time to hear once again the interview with John Farrand from the Guild of Fine Food. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. 
John, we heard a report from Karen Coakley, our Kenmare foodie, earlier on the programme, and she mentioned Quinlan's Fish Shop. And you can confirm that they did indeed have two smoked salmons that not only won three gold stars each, but also are included in the top 50 products in this year's Great Taste Awards. That's that's absolutely right, Sharon. I mean, pretty impressive, actually, to uh, not only be a three-star, there were only 133 stars out of the 10,000 entries in this year's Great Taste. But uh, not only were they a three-star, but they've got two products in the top 50. Um, that is uh, a pretty impressive thing to achieve, but not, not unusual, to be fair, from, from Ireland, um, who have a long heritage of, of doing really rather well, not just this year, but, but over the 21 years of great taste. Yeah, it's great that Ireland does have a fairly impressive track record to date with the Great Taste. And there were another couple of Irish companies listed in the top 50 this year. That's, yeah, that's absolutely right. Quite uh, contrasting uh, products. Um, we've got uh, James Whelan's Beef Dripping, and then you've got an excellent uh, farmhouse butter from uh, Quineog. Um, so you've got that sort of fat, uh, big fatty products there. Um, contrasting with the wonderful fresh sort of smoked salmon um both both equally as great the emphasis on great taste is that things need to taste good or taste great we don't look at uh, nutritional value necessarily or packaging uh, everything within the awards is blind tasted so um we don't make nutrition decisions or or food debate food politics we we simply give out uh, awards one two or three to, to things that taste great i think that's a very important point you make about it being blind tasted that people have no idea who made the product where the product came from that's right our, our judges who work in in teams of, of four or five uh, simply have the product uh, a description uh, given to them by the producer which which obviously doesn't have any maker names in it uh, they sometimes see an ingredients listing but you're, you're absolutely right. There is no name. It's blind tasted. We don't look at packaging, which can often sway people. You know, the first bite is with the eye, uh, is the expression. And we, we want the decision of our judges to be based purely on the individual product in front of them and, and purely on, on the taste. Another element about great taste is it's not a competition. So it's not a case of you only award X number of stars to X number of products. If 10,000 products deserve three stars, then those 10,000 products will get three stars. Absolutely. We we use the word accreditation really to describe that. Um, It's not a running race. Um, As you rightly point out, there isn't one best sausage or one best salmon. Uh, equally, there might be no <laughs> great sausages. Everything is judged on its own merits, um, and it's important that the, the judges make that value decision, and they aren't comparing it with other things. That can often cause uh, problems or issues if you start comparing sausage with sausage. We want each individual one to be judged and assessed. Equally, each individual product and producer deserves some feedback. Um, and, and we're unique in the fact that we give, our judges give feedback to the producers who aren't quite getting it right. I mean, if you think this year that uh, 31% of that 10,000 got an award of some sort, if you flip that, then clearly you know, around 70% aren't getting it right. And, and the task of great taste is not only to give out the gongs, but also to help improve the producers who, who aren't quite getting it right. And that's an important part of what we've done um, over, over the years. You mentioned there about the teams of judges. So there's four or five judges around a table. Just explain to the listeners how that works. They all have a taste. And if they say yes, no, there, there's other stages in it. Yeah, we're, we're pretty, our judging process has been refined o- over the course of, of our history, and it's important to do that. They, they sit as a four or five, they've got about 15 products to assess in a session. Um, they discuss, um, one of the judges uh, who is a coordinator has a laptop, so they are harnessing all the comments from those judges. They agree as a team uh, on whether it gets a one, two, or three, or whether it gets uh, no award. Um, Whatever happens, 
that product is passed to another table of four or five. Um, if it's um, the initial table says it's not worthy of a star, that second table must concur. And if they don't, it then goes to another table because it could be worthy of a star. It, the, the premise for great taste is to get a food through as many palates as we possibly can to remove as much subjectivity as, as we can. You're never going to remove all subjectivity because we're talking about food here and it would be the same with a good book or a good film or a good painting. Um, but if we get it through as many palettes as we can, educated palettes, I should say, um, then we are doing our job to, to be as fair as possible to those foods and those food producers. I think that it is a very rigorous and a very fair system that you have in place there because, as you say, there are a lot of different palettes. There's also a lot of different personalities in there, mm. I'd say. Yeah. Yes, and, and it's, a, it's a, a good point. We have to, another good reason for getting it through as many people is you remove uh, the bullies or the big characters. We have, we have big egos in food, as I'm sure you are aware, and um, we have to temper those sometimes so that we get uh, a fair representation. And yeah, we work hard hard at our teams. Um, we like to make sure that the panel are, are of different ages, of male and female, of different corners of the food industry. So we'll make sure that a team is made up of a retailer, a chef, a food writer, a food maker. So it gets a balance. I, mean, I judge myself at other f awards and I'm often uh, the youngest person in the room and I'm not particularly young and I'm sometimes it's a room full of men and it, it's just not representative what great taste does is try to to represent um, the nation if you like the nation's palates um, through its judging teams. So there's chefs in there and there's food bloggers in there and there's also people who have won awards Indeed, yeah. I mean, we obviously don't let them judge their own food. We're clever enough to, to, to make sure they're not on there on the day when their food is. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's no one better in some respects um, to, to come along and judge. And the, uh, the people who make jam are very good at judging jam because they know the science behind putting it all together. So that is a, a fair thing um, or a fair corner of the industry to have a view on our judging team. And I think that's a good insight for those companies as well and those producers to, to have a go at the judge and to see the process from the other side of the table. It's, it's imperative. And actually, um, a lot of them go away even more chuffed with their awards if they've got them uh, because they, they know what it goes through. And equally, those perhaps who haven't quite got it right, it gives them a better insight on, on what they can be doing with their products themselves to tweak them. It, it also gives a unique melting pot of people from within the food trade. I mean, we judged um, in Dublin two years ago now, and it's there is this sort of sub-value of, of the Great Taste Roadshow where business is done um, as a result of buyers meeting, meeting sellers in, in the sort of environment of that Great Taste Judging Week. So it, I don't like the, the phrase networking, but it, I guess it is a sort of unofficial networking event as well for, for food and drink. We've talked there a bit about the judges and different products and we should also mention the types of companies that enter because this could be from the single producer right up to the multinational company that's entering products. Yes, I mean, by its nature, it attracts less entries from the multinationals, I have to say. But we, as, as organisers, uh, have to have faith in our process. So we don't put a restriction on who can enter food and drink. Um, if you've got a thousand employees or one employee you can enter your food as long as it is commercially available that is the only premise or criteria we have you can't just make brownies uh, chocolate brownies at home and, and enter them you have to sell them somewhere um, but you know we have people who who only sell at farmers markets or, or or who only sell from their own farm gate so it goes from micro businesses rather than small businesses uh, as you say, up to some of the, the bigger boys. But the, the goodies shine through. That's what the process is there for. And, and you know, not all food made in, in factories is bad, and equally not, to, not all food made by small food producers is great. Um, that's what our process finds out. Well, we started by talking about the top 50, and there's actually one more major accolade to be awarded in the form of the Supreme Champion. 
Yes, that's right. The, ne- the next stage really is uh, the, the awards night, September the 7th, which is held um, at the Royal Garden Hotel in, in London um, during the Speciality and Fine Food Fair. Um, and that uh, that is a, a dinner, um, awards given out, and we have what's called the Golden Forks. So um, regions and countries uh, are awarded um, a Golden Fork for their best tasting food. And then, yes, ultimately we arrive at the Supreme Champion, which will be announced that night. And Ireland has done well in the past with that. It certainly has, yes. Um, winners uh, in the past, Woodcock Smokery, that I can recall now. Um, the Irish Golden Fork last year was won by Irish Atlantic Sea Salt, um, with, with their sea salt with dill pollen. Um, and yes, I mean, there's a, there's a, a wonderful track record. And um, there's, there's always a big winner from Ireland because you've got the Golden Fork from Ireland. But um, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully there'll be some some luck with the with the supreme champion this year too and hannon meets has won the supreme champion not once but twice indeed yes yes um they um they're big winners they've only won the supreme champion once but they've they've, they're continually winning um the 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 best from northern ireland uh and they are they are last year i think they had seven three stars um and and certainly five in the top 50 i can't remember my stats but they're it's interesting, actually, to see over the years uh, which uh, producers continually crop up. They might not always get a three-star, but they, 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 they are winning continually high awards, and the, and the same names crop up um, because of um, continually producing good food. The consumer then out and about doing their shop, and what do they need to look out for? Quite simply, Sharon, the, the, the black and gold logo, great taste, one star, two star and three star. Um, more and more producers are, are waving the flag because they're proud to win. I mean, it's, it's great for sales because the consumer is beginning to get it. They see the logo on packaging and they, they automatically know that a, a panel of independent judges are, are, are blind tasted and they are in effect recommending it to them. It's not marketing guff. Uh, if you like, it is a, a genuine mark of quality. So they need to look out for the logo uh, and understand what, what it stands for. Um, and that's been a big part of how Great Taste has helped the smaller food producers by sort of uplifting sales. You said there about you had a Dubl- you were in Dublin a couple of years ago doing the judging and you were in Belfast last year. Have you any plans to return in 2016? Yeah, well, I'm hoping that we'll be um, doing both next year, Belfast and Dublin. Um, that, that's the plan. Nothing confirmed, but it's a, it's a powerful roadshow, as I, as I said. It's a, it's a good thing to have. It's good for us to get out there um, and, and it's good for the, the producers and the, and the makers of, of those countries for us to raise the profile because we get these lovely good judges coming over who are food writers, who are food hall buyers, and they are exposed to the producers locally. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing now. Um, it, it really is. So there's lots of reasons for producers to enter their products. When will you open for 2016? Um, we'll be open so it's the middle end of January that's, that's our calendar we open for entry then we, we close for entry sort of end of February um, and then we judge March through until July so it's uh, a long long haul um, but um, you need to do things properly so it takes time and that's why uh, we take four or five months to, to, ju- to judge these 10,000 products and where is the best place for people to go and get information not only about products that have won but how to enter next year um, well, uh, greattasteawards.co.uk is, is where there's a, a, a good search engine to, to find all the winners. Um, that also links off to our trade site, which is where producers can, can find out uh, and register to make sure that they're on our database to receive information for 2016. So um, those two websites. John, it's been lovely talking to you this evening. We'll be keeping an eye out now to find out who the supreme champion is. Yes. In indeed. the meantime, the best of luck with it. Many thanks, Sharon. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.
Welcome back to a second helpings edition of The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break you heard me talking to John Farrand from the Guild of Fine Food about the Great Taste Awards. And at the start of the show we were reminded of that delicious Italian feast I enjoyed. Compliments of Chef Vincenzo at the George Boutique Hotel in Limerick City. Next it's time to recall the Christmas cake baking tips that development chef Colin Greensmith from Palace Foods had for us just a few weeks ago but still very much topical as many of you will be getting cracking on your Christmas cake baking at this time of the year. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Colin, great to have you in the studio this evening. Thank you very much, Sharon. And people may hate us, but we're going to talk about Christmas cake. Yeah, it's never too early. We start talking about Christmas cake in May, believe it or not. So really? this is quite late. Yeah, absolutely. That's very early now. It is. But you might be talking about it in May, but you're maybe not making it in May. No, but we're tasting last year's Christmas cakes that have been left over. Yeah. And assessing product in May for okay. the coming season. So yeah, it's actually a little treat. You'd be surprised, but it's lovely to have Christmas cake in May because you're away from it and you've forgotten about it and it's been sitting in parchment paper and it's gorgeous. Yeah. So yeah, it's one of our little treats and we by November, December we're kinda of sick of it, but in May we love getting our Christmas cakes. And it it doesn't it keeps for a long time. Keeps for a long time. I mean If it's if it's looked after properly. If it's minded and if it's looked after and kept in the in the proper environment. I mean Christmas cake was actually originally it was a, an Easter time treat so it was so when people would start preparing their uh, Christmas mince pies they used to say keep the ingredients and make a cake and that would be, would have been an Easter dish but over time it evolved to being a Christmas dish so yeah it, it definitely keeps and it's it's the old traditional way of keeping your fruit and using your fruit from the previous seasons And is there a basic recipe that everybody more or less sticks to or are there lots of variations? There's lots of variations and lots of different types of Christmas cake I suppose across the, the British Isles all the Christmas cakes are a variation on a team. They're either porter or beer-based. A Scottish Christmas cake would be whiskey-based. Irish uh, Christmas cakes tend to use whiskey or brandy. Um, but then you've got panettones in Italy, which are completely different. They're almost like a fruit bread. Um, a German Christmas cake would be completely different. There's even a Japanese Christmas cake, which is a, a sponge, a white sponge with icing on it. So lots of different types, but generally the, the traditional British and Irish Christmas cake are variations on a team. And do you have a recipe that you would personally use yourself each year? I have a recipe that I picked up a lot of years ago in the mustard seed, which actually uses cider to make the initial cake instead of um, instead of the, the brandy and whiskey. And we infuse the, the heavier alcohol over the weeks. So generally we'd make it six, eight weeks in advance with cider and then infuse it with the harder alcohol over time. So if somebody is starting to make it now, what are the first steps? What do they need to do first? Well, first steps are obviously gathering your ingredients. So some people like to use margarine, others like butter. I'm a, a butter man myself. I think everybody's moving more towards the, yeah, the butter, I, though. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a nicer flavour. And with a lot of smaller creameries as well now, you're getting more traditional butter. So you're getting away from the you know the standard um, generic butter that you find in the shelves. So you could have a, a Glenoyland butter or quinoa butter, which would have a, a little bit of salt in it. And it would be a little bit saltier than, your, than the butter we might be used to. And even in sweet things and in desserts a little bit of salt is, is a great help as well so it's really plain flour um, butter sugar and then your, your dried fruit mixes along with the alcohol then as well and can you vary the dried fruit mix can you put apricots sultanas like what is the difference between sultanas and raisins and currants absolutely I mean it's generally it's it's different fruits and different drying methods to be honest with you but I'd be more of a sultanas man myself um, it purely because of the size and because they take to the alcohol more when you soak them as well in they're advance. plumper they're plumper and they just feel a bit more luxurious as well when, you, when you're using them but I mean it, it can be anything I mean you've got people we've got a, somebody who works for us who used to work in the Middle East and they put dates into their into their fruit cakes so you know there's a lot of variations it's pretty wide and pretty varied but generally your raisins your your cherries um, the, the standard supermarket you can buy a mix now uh, a fruit cake mix and that, that's pretty standard. But you can be as adventurous or as tame as you like with your, with your ingredients. Okay. So you mix those all up together? Mix them all up together. Um, what I personally like to do is soak the alcohol for, you know, overnight, maybe 8-10 hours in advance of making the cake. So, Or sorry, soak the fruit and alcohol 8-10 hours in advance of making the cake. So I'd leave those sitting in a bowl overnight. Um, cream your sugar, your margarine, mix it with your flour, and then add in your, your fruit and your eggs to bind um, sometimes as well I like to use citrus fruits so you know oranges there's always a, a a Christmas tradition of oranges being a fruit that were around the house so I think using orange peel and orange zest and even lemon lemon peel and lemon zest into your cake as well just to give it a little bit of a zing but okay. the orange would be a 
regular in, in, in my Christmas cakes. And once you have the cake batter ready, is there anything you should do with it? Or is it straight into the tin and get it into the oven as soon as? Well, I actually like to warm the tin before I put in oh, the okay. I've never the heard mix that as well. Before. Yeah, warm the tin, a little bit of butter on the outside. And the other thing I do is I line it with, grease, with greaseproof paper and pour the mix in then. And then it's, it's into the oven. Um, generally about two and a half to three hours to, to bake a Christmas cake. So it's the old traditional method for checking then is just skewering the cake and making sure that the skewer comes out clean. If you opened the oven in the middle of it, is there any danger of it sinking or having an adverse effect on it? Opening it, not so much. It's it's how you close the oven, I suppose, and how you treat it. Some ovens can be temperamental. You know, you might have to bang an oven door on an older oven. Something like that would affect your cake mm. and would cause a little bit of sinkage. Like, obviously, it's best to leave it closed for maybe over two hours before you start checking your cake. But generally, if you're gentle with the oven door, it's not too bad as long as you're swift. But, I mean, if you're opening the oven door and taking the cake out to check it and popping it back in, that's going to affect your cake. Okay. And it does take a long time to cook because it is quite a dense cake. It's incredibly dense. And one of the things you don't want is that, you know, you have a cake that seems to be cooked on the outside. And when you cut into it, you've got the this heavy doughy mix sitting in the middle that hasn't cooked through properly mm. and hasn't aerated so yeah it's one that takes a lot of time and plenty of patience it's quite an easy recipe it's a, it's a very easy thing to make but you have to be patient while it's in the oven and just let the cake do what it has to do while it's baking how soon after it comes out of the oven should you get it out of the tin do you need to let it cool for a little bit or again is it is it important to get it out when it's quite warm I would actually let it sit in the cake on, or in the tin until it's relatively cool I wouldn't be in any rush to get it out of the tin I know the tin is, is insulating it in effect and, and keeping the heat inside but I'm never in a rush to get it out mm-hmm. just let it cool you know sometimes you can leave it overnight before you take it out it just makes it a little bit easier and you know your cake is stable then as well but one of the things I do when I, when I do remove it from the tin is I leave that paper around it that it's been baked in and I leave the, the, the same film around it and you know once it's out of the tin I wrap it in in greaseproof paper Okay and it has to be stored in an airtight container airtight container cool dry place but that's it I suppose the airtight container bit isn't as important as you might think um, because it's going to be it's going to be taken off and taken out of the airtight mm-hmm. container on a regular basis anyway you know in the six weeks leading up to when you're actually going to consume the cake there's going to be a fair bit of wrapping and unwrapping and, and popping it in and popping it out for adding alcohol and making sure that the cake is nice and moist um, cling film is often a good one as well um, especially if the cake if there's a little bit of residual heat in the cake when you do take it out of the tin if you're under pressure wrapping it in cling film Greaseproof paper first, then followed by cling film, can keep the moisture in and keep the cake nice and soft and you don't get that that hard crust that forms mm-hmm. around the outside of the cake. Okay, yeah, I've had that on a few cakes. It's good yeah. to know how, why that has happened. That's a small tip. Yeah. And you use the skewer then to to kind of make little holes, a very small skewer to make holes and then put the, the alcohol into it. The alcohol it. in afterwards, exactly. On a regular basis, just use a very thin skewer, pierce the, the cake, and pour your alcohol over it as much or as little as you like. And again, going back to the variations on the alcohol, I know whiskey and brandy are the traditional ones, but Scots like Drambuie. We have a Scottish colleague who has a particular fondness for Drambuie in all of his cooking, but he does Christmas cake, Christmas cake with Drambuie, and it's, it's lovely. Okay. And again, you're bringing in the citrus, the citrus flavours and the citrus alcohols into it. And is it necessary to put alcohol into it? Like could you, if you weren't an alcohol person, could you put orange juice or apple juice into it? Yeah, if you don't like the flavour, you can. Personally... I think that that bit of heat that comes from a Christmas cake with the alcohol is what makes it. Mm-hmm. Um, you could flavour it with other things. Um, on a personal note, I like the whiskey and the brandy going into okay. it. And I suppose I might be a bit of a traditionalist in that way, where I do have my variations, but I do like the strong spirits going into it. But absolutely, I mean, there's no reason why you can't flavour it with something non-alcoholic as well. At what stage then is it ready for icing? Uh, once you have it pretty much ready to go with the alcohol and you've given it a nice few weeks of resting, you can ice it quite late. Um, with traditional marzipan icing over the top I'm never in a particular rush to get it iced I think that you know the icing if it's left on for too long as well it can be a little bit temperamental and you know cracks can start to appear so you know a week 10 days out I think is plenty of time for me personally to be putting on the icing Okay, and have you any good icing recipes? I think the very, very simple ones. I mean, when we were studying in college, um, there was a book that we always go back to called Practical Cookery, and it's just the basics, basics, basics. I mean, there's a saying that that you know we've all heard, "Keep it simple, stupid," mm-hmm. and I think that's that's words to live by when you're doing the traditional recipes. So it's a very simple marzipan recipe for for covering it, and then your your traditional icing for the top of it, your traditional royal icing for the top of it. So the marzipan is you know your caster sugar, your ground almond. Um, uh, free range egg white you can add in a little bit of almond extract or again 
zest of a citrus fruit into it for a little twist but generally just keep it simple and again the royal icing it's it's icing sugar egg whites lemon juice and glycerin and it's, it's as simple as that, you know. Again, if you want to tie the extra egg white, you can to get it to get it stiffer and, and more crunchy. Um, I know, like, when we were kids, it was always a case of getting the crunchy icing from the top of the cake. It was a prized, a prized part, part of the cake. So, yeah, if you can get your icing nice and, nice and crisp outside the marzipan. If you're not a marzipan lover, is there any alternative to using marzipan or is it just a case of cut it off around the cake and just leave it to one side? No, I mean, there there are other soft icings that you can use and there, there are plenty of other soft icing recipes. I suppose marzipan is just tr- the traditional, traditional one. one. But some people do find almond quite strong. Mm. And I suppose in general cooking, I'd be of that opinion that almond can be quite strong and it can leave an aftertaste and it can tend to repeat on people as well. But I, it's just with the, with the Christmas cake, I think almond goes very well with it. I would imagine that it is something that a lot of people would have left over at Christmas because there is so much other food going on. But it's not the worst thing to have left over because, as you said before, it, it keeps for so long. It's a great treat. You know, I mean, if you go for afternoon teas to, to any hotels or restaurants, you'll often get a piece of fruitcake anyway. So, you know, if, if there's some Christmas cake sitting in the back of the larder and, as I said, come April, come May, it's a lovely little treat to have. And I know, you know, in some places it, it's not just a, a sweet thing or it's not just treated as something to have with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. You can have it with some Winsleydale, Winsleydale cheese or some cheddar as well later on in the year. It's, it's, uh, it's a very old way of eating Christmas cake, but it's an alternative use for it. And some people would use it to make like a bread and butter pudding or fry it and do different things with it. Absolutely. Bread and butter pudding with it is a great one. But again, there's, I mean, there's a tradition of, of people keeping a tear of their wedding cake for christings and things like that. So, you know, you're, it's a very similar thing with Christmas cake. It's a traditional fruit cake. It will last forever and a day once it's treated properly. Well, funny you should say that now because I'm married 10 years next year and I have that that um, cake that was kept for the christening and it was pulled out at two christenings yeah, but it was never, never cut it was never cut and of course it's sitting in um, an airtight container in a in a dry cool place and I often look at it thinking okay what am I going to do with this now 25th wedding anniversary <laughs> Sharon just keep it for another few years <laughs> and poison himself and everybody else <laughs> I might just do that now Colin well that's all great advice and thanks very much for coming in to to share it with us this evening I hope it's been useful to the listeners my pleasure you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to a second helpings edition of The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Colin Greensmith had Christmas cake baking tips for you. And earlier in the show you heard me talking to John Farrand from the Guild of Fine Food about the Great Taste Awards. And at the start of the show we were reminded of that delicious Italian feast I enjoyed, compliments of Chef Vincenzo at the George Boutique Hotel in Limerick City. The final interview for tonight is a reminder of a fabulous competition that there's still time to enter. Caroline Gray told me all about the Easy Food Home Cook Hero competition and by golly, there's some great prizes to be won. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, the 2015 Easy Food Magazine Home Cook Hero competition. Very exciting that you're looking for entries at the moment. We are, yeah, we're open for this year's Home Cook Hero Awards and uh, looking forward to just another really exciting event. So everyone that's uh, busy in the kitchen, it's time to start submitting your recipes. Now, there's lots of different categories. And if you want to talk us through some of those, just so people know the sort of dishes that can be entered. Sure. Yeah. So um, we have a few categories listed already, and it's great because Kind of depending on what you cook at home, chances are it's going to fit into one of these categories. Um, they're sponsored, and so we want to just make sure that those sponsors' products are included. But, for instance, um, I'll just run you through the categories here. We have the best burger category sponsored by Mr. Crumb. So that's just any kind of burger. We've had things from fish burgers to veggie burgers to the classic beef burgers, uh, but just making sure to use uh, Mr. Crumb breadcrumbs in those dishes. We have the Fabulous Fowl category uh, sponsored by Moy Park. And this is literally anything with chicken. So that's really broad, and we've gotten some really, really exciting things in the past in that one. Um, a new category this year is the Super Seeds category sponsored by Linwoods. And these are just kind of really healthy recipes. It can be breakfast, a snack, lunch, anything, um, just using some of the really healthy, wholesome products from Linwoods range. We have the Everyday Inspirations category sponsored by Birdseye. 
And this is really fun because it's using kind of some of those freezer staples like um, fish fingers or chicken fillets or frozen veg to create some really nice, exciting dinner ideas. Uh, the Butter Me Up category is always a really popular one that's sponsored by Connacht Gold. And it could be anything sweet or savory using butter. So we tend to get some really, really fun things um, with under the baking category in this one. Uh, there's Easy Cheesy, sponsored by Dubliner Cheese. Uh, this is anything just with cheese in it. So again, really versatile. It can be anything from like just a two-minute snack to a really fun, you know, luxurious dinner. And then the last one we have is Natural Protein Powder. This or er, power, excuse me. This is sponsored by Green Farm, and um, they have the range of really wholesome, nice torn meats. And again, this is kind of just using these in ways where you can make a healthy and wholesome meal for yourself. So a dinner or something like salads or pastas or stir fries. So it's really all about just getting creative and kind of using these ingredients that you probably already have in your kitchen, but um, kind of just taking them up a level and bringing them to this national stage. It's very easy to enter. You just go onto the website and you can either print off the application form and fill it in or else do it online. Exactly. That's it. So if you just go, you can either go to our homepage is easyfood.ie and then you can click on the Home Cook Hero tab and that brings you to the Home Cook Hero website and that's homecookhero.ie and here as well you'll see the enter here tab and you can just um, fill in just some basic information like your name and your address and you more or less just kind of list your recipe there and what it means to you. Um, and if you prefer, like you said, you can print off the entry form and post it into the Easy Food office. Um, and as well, we have the uh, current issue of Easy Food is on sale now, and the entry form is in that, and it will be in all the next few issues um, up until the award. So there's loads of really easy ways to enter, and just as long as you have your own recipe and what it means to you in about 50 words or less, then you're good to go. Well, there's lots of time to enter because the deadline is October. Whenever that deadline comes around and you've all these entries, what's the next step in the process? So it's always a really fun, but um, it's a it's a lengthy process at that stage because we take all of the entries and we have a panel of shortlist judges. And these are kind of, um, you know, bloggers or food writers or just people in the food business across the country. And um, each will get category that kind of relates to some of the fields they cover and so they just narrow it down and um, it comes back to us and we kind of look through them all again to make sure we all agree with everything that's been chosen it's a really meticulous process because we want to make sure that recipes go through that really show what people do in their own kitchens at home and, and things that have a good meaning behind them we get so many recipes that are these heirloom dishes that were kind of handed down from grandmothers and as well as things that were just whipped up on a random Tuesday night. So um, once we kind of take those down and whittle those down from like the hundreds and thousands of entries that we get, um, that's when we've received, we, that's when we decide on three short lists for each category. So there's three people then come up to Dublin? Yes, yes. So and, and they have to make them for your panel of judges? That's the thing. So it's, it's always a bit of nerves in the morning because um, all the finalists, so all 30 finalists then, um, are invited up to Cook's Academy in Dublin and they're each given a time slot to create their dish. So uh, they bring in their ingredients and everyone's on hand and like I said, there's the TV crews because um, TV3 film the awards and it's then aired a week after the event. But um, as soon as everyone kind of gets cooking, you can see everyone kind of you know, relaxes a bit and we're all there on hand to help. It's not meant to be an intimidating or a stressful day whatsoever. It's all about enjoying it. So they cook their dishes and then they're presented to the judges. And then that night, there's the black tie dinner and award ceremony at the Shelburne Hotel in Dublin. So it's a really gorgeous event and everyone has a lot of fun. And that's where the ultimate winners are announced. And two of the judges this year are it's um, Catherine Fulvio, who will be well known to everybody, and then Gina Miltiadu. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, yes exactly. So both Catherine and Gina are returning judges. This is the fifth year of the awards, actually. So um, Catherine is... Is it the fifth year, Caroline? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we can't actually believe it ourselves. So <laughs> it just seems to kind of, you know, come up on us every year. And it's always just so exciting. It's everyone's kind of favorite day of the year in the office. So, you know, going to kind of get swinging at it again. It's always, you know, a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. So 
Yeah, it's, we're looking forward to it again. And there's going to still be um, a third judge still to be announced. Okay. And it sounds like it is a fabulous night in the Shelburne Hotel. hotel and all of those finalists go away with something, don't they? They do, exactly. Everybody that makes it to the final stage, because, you know, it was such a tough process and it's no easy feat even getting to the final day. Everyone walks away with a hamper of prizes and just being able to call yourself, everyone is a hero. Everyone's a home cook hero at the end of the day. So everybody uh, walks away with some prizes and the winners um, will receive up to a thousand euro worth of prizes. Like that's a savage amount of prizes, so it is. It is. It's great. It's. I mean, everyone's always just kind of overwhelmed with the amount you walk away with. Because obviously, you get your nice trophy and then the you know your plaque, a certificate to say you've competed, and then there's just loads of nice things that we have. So many wonderful prize sponsors that um, just submit so many really really fun uh, like foodie prizes and destination prizes. So it's well worth entering just for that alone. <laughs> and it is open to all age groups. It is. We've had contestants as young as seven years old and up to, I believe, early 80s. So it really is, you know, it's a competition for absolutely everybody. If you can cook and if you have a dish that you really like to make, like that's what we say, just go on the website, see where it kind of fits into a category because more often than not it will and just see how you get on with it. And it might not just be the prizes that you end up coming away with because this competition has actually been used as a platform for some people to go on to do even better things in the world of food. For example, publishing books. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We, one of our, um, we've had a few uh, former contestants publish books already. One of the winners from, I believe, two years ago, uh, Fiona Uemo was the winner of the Cockamillish category, and. She's really big into Japanese cooking, and she has been doing, since the award, she's been doing some Japanese cookery demos, and she's just coming out with her own cookbook um, in October, actually. So we're so delighted for her, and it's great because, you know, we build these relationships, too, and it's really nice to kind of stay in touch with everybody as they go back to, you know, their respective parts of the country and kind of build these careers for themselves. It's such a great launching pad. And West Limerick, it has to be said, has a fairly good reputation whenever exactly. it comes to entries, we're usually oh, yeah. represented every year. Very very much so. We always seem to get great entries from that side. So well, like that's the thing. I would just highly encourage anybody, you know, regardless of your skill level or if you're nervous, you know, I think sometimes people think that it has to be these really impressive dishes. But, you know, one of the judges' favorites from a few years ago was just, you know, a basic uh, tomato soup. So it's really, you know, it doesn't have to be this, you know, restaurant quality thing. It's just what it means to you. So... Um, I know you have a lot of great cooks out there, so I'd very much encourage them to enter. Okay, we'll just remind them then of the web address. Sure, so it's homecookhero.ie, and you can also find it from the Easy Food homepage, which is easyfood.ie. Great to talk to you about it, Caroline, and we look forward to catching up with you later in the year to find out how successful the West Limerick people have been in it. Yes. Definitely. Great talking to you, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinter. That brings us to the end of tonight's interviews on this second helping show of the best possible taste. If you've missed any of the previous shows, they're all in the podcast, which can be found on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. A quick reminder that the Dingle Food Festival is on this weekend in County Kerry. Definitely one not to be missed. And I'll be back next week with an all new show with a review from our resident reviewer, Rachel Keeley, and lots, lots more. Thanks so much to you all for tuning in this evening. I hope you've enjoyed the show and be sure to get in touch with me anytime. You can just drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org. Until next time, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!